Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open it up to Luke chapter 11 and just park it there. How many of you guys here drive? Let me see a show of hands. You drive a car. How many of you guys have ever ridden a bicycle? Okay. So I think between cars and bicycles, that should cover everybody in this place. You ever ridden on a bike or driven in a car that's out of alignment? Yeah. Anybody? You know, you're driving down the road. There's a a straight stretch of road, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, it looks like your steering wheel is straight, or if you're on your bike, it looks like your, you know, your, your steering handlebars are straight, yet you're veering left. Anybody ever experienced that? It looks like you're going straight, but, you know, it's not straight. Something's happening. And you're gearing left. And so to compensate, what do you do? You know, you want to go straight, you're pulling to the right. You pull over to the right so that you could go straight, and that just doesn't make sense. And if you could, just lower my mic a little bit. It's a little hot, if you could, when you have a chance. Um, So as you're going down, you have to compensate because you keep going left. You know, you want to take a, a... a right turn and you got to put in a whole bunch more effort to take that right turn but you want to go left and all of a sudden it feels like you joined the self-driving car club just let go of the wheel baby and you can go left anybody experienced that before it makes for a fun ride an interesting ride nothing but boring right Um, but it makes also for a very dangerous ride it can make for you know a disaster down the road if you're misaligned. And so an alignment in our cars and our bikes, an alignment will help us drive straight and it helps the car handle properly. It helps us to make it a safer ride. But you also get a very smooth ride. You get a smoother ride. You get a better gas mileage for that matter for all of you guys who are concerned about the incredibly high gas prices. Maybe you need an alignment. Why? Because if the wheels are straight, they're sitting on their axis nice and straight, they are you know, aligned with the road properly, that means you have a decrease in resistance. That means you're not wearing out your tires on just one side. That means you're going to get a lot more miles for your gas. It's going to be a better experience. And this morning, I want us to reconsider a alignment. I want us to consider a realignment, as it is the tendency of the new year. You know, we're into the second Sunday of the new year, 2022. It's just sometimes I start wandering, right? And I'm not, I'm still pretty, pretty young, I would say. But I start looking at the years and I'm like, we're in 2022? Wow. I remember when we used to think that we weren't going to go past 2000, right? The Y2K is going to come and the world's going to crash and everything's going to end. We're in 2022. We're 22 years past that. And we're like, man... That was nothing. It's incredible. But as it's the beginning of the year, we we have this tendency to focus on our habits, to focus on our activities, to focus on the things that we do. And so, you know, we start saying such things as, you know what, this year, new me, baby. It's going to be a better year. You know, this year, I'm going to realign some things in my life. This year, I'm going to realign my time. I'm going to realign my diet. I'm going to realign my, you know, family time. I'm going to realign my spiritual life. I'm going to realign, fill in the blank. You're going to realign it. We have this tendency. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at a realignment that was considered by some of the disciples, a realignment that was requested actually by the disciples of Jesus, and it's found in Luke chapter 11. I want you to take a look with me 
As we look at how these guys, they, they looked at Jesus, they were contemplating his life and seeing his ministry, and they were looking at their lives. I don't know if it was a brand new year. I don't know when this happened in the ministry of Jesus. Maybe it could have been January 1st, and they were just trying to figure out a new habit, figure out how to realign some things in their lives. But they looked at their prayer life, and they looked at and said, you know what, some of the bumps in the road of my life and ministry has you know, knocked me off center. You know, I'm looking at my prayer life and I'm looking at what's happening in my, in my world and I'm, I'm looking and realizing that I'm not yielding the gas mileage that I want out of my prayers. These disciples looked at their circumstance and they said, you know what, I'm not really impressed by what I see and I am not excited. Therefore, Jesus, give me a realignment. And if I'm honest with you guys, sometimes I look at my prayer life and I'm not really excited what I'm yielding in terms of gas mileage. I don't know if there's anybody honest enough to to, uh, activate that with me and say, you know what, pastor, I'm with you. Sometimes I'm not impressed, uh, you know, out of the, 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 how centered my prayers may be. Sometimes I'm not impressed at, you know, how excited I am. And sometimes I feel like I'm actually on the side of the road. I'm not even praying. I just need roadside assistance. Am I in the right place here today? I don't know if maybe you have felt like you're on the side of the road and you're like, you know what? I'm not even praying. I'm not even moving. I know I should do this thing. You know, it's, it reminds me of the story. There was this uh, little town that they, they were uh, planning to open up their first bar. They didn't have a bar. There's a little town. And so the church caught wind of this and they realized, they said, you know what? Um, yeah, we don't want that. So they got together, they started sending out announcements to everybody, and they said, you know what, let's come together at the church and let's pray. Let's pray that God will do something about this. And so they started praying. And then all of a sudden, as these guys are praying, lightning bolts struck the bar, and it caught fire. And so the barman, uh, you know, went and he, he hired a, a, a lawyer, and he said, you know what, the church is responsible for the fire in my bar. And he mounted a lawsuit. And so what did the church do? The church hired a lawyer. And they started arguing in court, saying, we didn't do that. That wasn't us. And so the, the judge comes into the case and he says, no matter what I do, there's no way I can get this right. But one thing I do know for sure, however I decide this case, the barman believes in prayer and the church does not. I wonder, are we derailed on the side of the road You know, are we getting the right gas mileage? Are we understanding? Are we on center? Are we stepping into the prayer, uh, you know, office and ministry and opportunity and power that God has for us? The disciples looked at their life as they compared to Jesus and they said, there's something misaligned. I'm off center. I'm not getting what I know is reserved and available. Therefore, Jesus, teach us how to pray. This morning, as we, you know, consider our time together, I want us to look right here because I need this. I need this in 2022. I want God to take my prayers and go way farther than I ever thought possible because he said that he's given us this opportunity to bring into existence that which is not. He's given us this opportunity to cooperate. And so I want us to look at this this morning and we'll see how far we get. But uh, if you are with me, I want you to say a mighty amen. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. 
Anybody know where we're going here? Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Father, I thank you for this window into the lives of your disciples and this moment where you, Lord God, changed the paradigm. Lord, I pray that as we embark on this time together, that you would help us, equip us with your Holy Spirit. Watch over your word and perform it in our lives to bring about fruit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Church, this morning, I want us to to just be looking at a realignment of prayer. And I want to propose to you a few things that hopefully we get to switch in our understanding and our concept of prayer. And we go a lot further this year in 2022. See, there's a desire for realignment right here when the disciple says, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. There came a moment where a request was made, and I find it interesting that of all the things, Jesus talked about a lot of stuff. He, he had a lot to say about a plethora of different subjects. He had a lot of authority in his teaching, and he knew something. He knew quite a bit of something. He knew a lot of things. And as we've looked throughout you know, our Christmas series, how he was God, right? That wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. We looked at those terms and we realized he was God at the beginning. He knows quite a few things. And of all the things he knows and all the things that he's taught and instructed, the disciples say, Lord, teach us this. Of all the things they could have asked, they say, teach us how to pray. There's nowhere else and nothing else that they ask him to teach. Yeah, they've, they asked him questions, but they never said, Lord, teach us how to do X. It was prayer. And, you know, it's surprising and not surprising. Why? Because these are the men who walked with him for years. And they saw Jesus, you know, all of a sudden restoring withered hands. He saw Jesus restoring the lame to be able to walk. He saw Jesus touching lepers and lepers being cleansed. They even saw Jesus declaring to the dead, rise. And they came out of the grave. And he did all of these things out of his prayer life. He did all of these things as an outflow of prayer. And so it's not surprising, actually, that the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And it's not like they did not know. Like, you know, sometimes we start looking at the disciples and we kind of like, you know, don't give them any credit. Jesus sent them out two by two to go preach the word, pray over the sick, and cast out demons. These guys have some experience. These guys are part of the Jewish culture. They've been brought up as good little Jewish boys. And so every day they're praying the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Every single day they're praying 18, 19 different prayers on a regular basis. They see, you know, John the the Baptist as he has some distinct type of prayers that he's teaching his disciples. These people know how to pray. They're engaging in prayer. They're doing the activity of prayer. So it's not like they're oblivious to it, but yet they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And when I stop and I think about that question, what are they asking him? Was there not a time when they showed up to Jesus and they say, Lord, we we did, we talked, we prophesied, we prayed, and we said these things, but yet it could not happen. It did not happen. And Jesus says, oh, 
Let, let me tell you a little bit why your prayers were ineffective in that moment. See, when they saw Jesus praying, they saw effectiveness. And they saw him be able to fulfill that which he always prayed over and saw. And so what these disciples are asking for is not give us a how-to guide, but they're asking them. He's not saying we don't know how to pray at all. What they're asking him is, Lord, I want to have a life of personal prayer that is connected with heaven like you are connected. We want that kind of prayer. See, your whole life, Jesus, has operated out of your personal prayer. So Jesus, please teach us how to pray. And to which Jesus says, all right, when you pray, he starts off when. And that's just the very first little nugget. This is a freebie. But hey, look, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, do X, Y, Z. See, prayer for the believer is not something that is, you know, a good idea and optional. Prayer for the believer, prayer for the person who's following Jesus, prayer for the Christian is just as essential as oxygen is for you and I to survive. See, a believer, the one who follows after Christ, needs to be in prayer. Connection is what we deeply long for, and there is no connection if there is no prayer. The connection that we absolutely are critical in, in, in desiring and need is a connection to God the Father, and that is the power of prayer. It allows us the opportunity to connect to the King of kings, to the God of all the universe, to the creator of all things. That is what prayer is. It's a connection point to God. And the Christian that is not praying is a Christian that is disconnected, a Christian that is not alive. Prayer is where our spiritual nature connects with the Spirit of God, the very Spirit that hovered over the surface of the deep and that brought out the light and brought out the vegetation and separated the things. That Spirit that enabled creation to come and to this very day is still creating that Spirit and power of God. That is what we have the opportunity to connect with when we pray. The Creator of all that has been breathed to life. And so the words that follow in verses 2 to 4, Luke chapter 11, 2 to 4, the words that follow is what Jesus is now providing to them. It's what we have been known and have come to love as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. And some of you might have noticed that it sounded a little bit different than what you're used to, you know, what you've memorized, what you've recited, right? Because often we're memorizing and reciting Matthew chapter 6 from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus starts teaching the Lord's Prayer. And he's got a little bit more of an elaboration of what is said within that prayer. But I know that right here in Luke's gospel, in his version, it's a little bit briefer, but all of the core components are still there. All of the main points are still here. And don't get me wrong, I think that it's important for us to recite God's word. We're supposed to memorize the scriptures and declare that. And I feel that every one of us, we will get incredible comfort and blessing at different times in our lives when we start prophesying and remembering and declaring the words of God as we've memorized them. But when I look at this and how Matthew has one version and Luke has a condensed version, what I, it tells me right from the get-go that, you know what, what Jesus wanted, what the disciples wanted was not to teach us a prayer, but to teach us how to pray. Because if it was a prayer, then we would have seen the Lord's Prayer being prayed more often in the scriptures. We would have seen believers having to pray it every single time they got together. We would have seen it. This is the only way we pray. We would pray that prayer every time we got together in a church service. But because they are not exactly identical, 
they're a little bit different, it tells me that what Jesus is teaching the disciples here is a pattern. It's a model. It is something that we need to understand, not as a you know, verbatim, word-for-word formula, but a pattern for us to pray. And so Jesus teaches them a few things. He teaches them how to pray by offering them what is suitable for them to actually connect with the God of all the universe. Lord, I want to pray prayers that are not just an explanation and, and, and a, you know, a dispelling of oxygen in words. I want to pray prayers that connect with heaven. I want to pray prayers that actually get me connected with the God of all the universe. And so, Jesus has to change their paradigm. And I think he has to change it for them just as much as he changes it for us. Can we be honest for a second? Because a lot of times, here's how we think of prayer. Prayer is like replacing an order. We're going on our Amazon cart and we're adding everything to the cart and we're getting ready to check out. Lord, I need this. When my need starts growing and it becomes bigger and bigger or more and more desperate, then you know what? I put it on my cart. Lord, my cart is full, ready to check out. Can you just send it on down, please? Well, you know what? We, if we're honest, okay, and be honest, I, I've done this. You know, prayer is the thing that we do when we've done everything else. Right? Like the bumper sticker. When all else fails, pray. How about before it all starts, pray? How about, you know what? What is the purpose of prayer when I'm in the middle of the emergency? Now I'm supposed to do this thing where I can finally have connection with the God of all the universe? Or was the connection already available at all times? And so Jesus has to give them a little bit of a paradigm shift, and he has to reorient them to the ultimate reality. And that ultimate reality begins with this fact. As Jesus begins to pray, he says to them this. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. See, what Jesus begins to shift the paradigm is that prayer is a realignment for ourselves to the true center of life. See, we tend to pray, Lord, give me this, give me that. God, yeah, I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of the rope. Lord, I need you to come on through for my issue and my circumstance. And what Jesus reorients is the fact that, you know what? The soul has to be connected to the true center, and that center is God the Father. It's a paradigm-shifting world where he is by saying the very first word, Father. What he's saying is, hey, the existence of this universe your existence, it's not at the center. And I need to hear that. Let me, let me reorient you to the center. Oh, by the way, you're not in the center. Uh, you, Pastor Brian, are not at the center. There is something else at the center. With these words, Jesus begins to realize realign the existence of what is truly at the center. And, and that is ultimately that the center exists a person by the name of God. And he's at the very beginning. He's at the beginning. He's at the central point. He's at the pinnacle, the climax. He is the one that has it all. If Jesus was praying this original prayer in the Aramaic, what he would have used is the word Abba. He would have used the word Abba for the word Father. 
And we know, in fact, that Jesus addresses God all throughout the scripture as we see it in Mark 14. We see Paul addressing it in Romans and Galatians as this word Abba. And the word Abba is a term of endearment. It's a term that means dearest father, dearest dad. It's not so much the word daddy as we, we say it today. It's the word dearest dad. A first-person Jewish uh, man or woman would not approach God in this way because to do so would be completely irreverent. It would be too familiar. So they would not say, Father. They would not say, Abba, as they're praying. But yet Jesus shows up and he says, you know what? Let me switch the gears here because the center is not us. It's not our needs. It's not what's happening. The center is not something out there, but it is Abba, the Father, the one that is familiar, the one that is caring and compassionate and so jesus when he comes in he says this is why i'm here i'm here so that i can reorient you guys to abba see what's happening in all throughout the ages from the very beginning of time in the garden see sin introduced an alienation between god and man it introduced a separation between abba and his children it introduced a wedge that separated us from God. And so what happens is when Jesus comes through, he realizes, look, that separation that exists, it's removed our rights and our privileges and our opportunities and benefits of relationship with Abba the Father. Therefore, I'm coming in. And if everybody is able to accept me, receive me and what I'm doing as the perfect son of God, as I've stepped in a perfect life and I lived and I died and I was buried, but I rose again and I have come to bring you that sonship that spirit of adoption whereby you can now enter back in to the very center which is abba the father you need to have a relationship with him that is why i have come i have come to do his will i have come because hallowed is his name and that word hallowed is not a word that we use regularly we 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 don't use that word and that word means to be set apart to be set as holy God, the Father, the one who is the center, is set apart completely as separate than everything else, greater than everything else, bigger than everything else. And he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be honored. He is worthy as the one and perfect Father. And now I know that this is a hard pill for some of us to swallow. Why? Because maybe our dads were absent or not caring, or angry, or abusive, or whatever it may be. So when we start and think that at the very center of our existence, the very center of this thing, connection that we long for, is the word Abba, a father, we're like, no, count me out. But how do we get over that? We get over that by realizing that God the Father, Abba, is the very perfect representation, the very best fulfillment of everything that we would have longed for and desired in terms of our earthly dads. He is everything in terms of being the perfect, loving, unconditional father, the one that is present and supportive, the one that is there and protective, the one that got your back in the middle of an issue, the one that has the guidance that you need and the instruction that you crave. He is the one that is the perfect representation of it all. And Jesus says, hey, when we pray, you are not praying, my will be done, but you're praying, let the will of Abba the Father, who is perfect, who is the very epitome of what is good and perfect and, and right, he is at the center of it all so ask him everything within his name and according to his will 
It's a shift because we want to make everything we pray about about us. Not that we want, we just do it. You know, have you ever started praying and all of a sudden you, you had the best of intentions to pray these lofty prayers or to pray, you know, over, you know, this span of time and to pray over these needs and circumstances and all of a sudden you're thinking about how your day got ruined or how this person wronged you or how this situation is not working in your favor and how you're, you're needing this or you're wanting that and all of a sudden it's just me, me, my, my, I, I, this, that, whatever, my family, my issue, my money, my is, my that, and it's just us. Yet Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. It's connecting with him. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus came to start reprioritizing our lives and say, you know what, our prayer time, our coming to God is we're coming to a God that is familiar and available and is it about him and us in him. So as we reorient our prayers and realign ourselves, the first thing that we have to understand that he is our true center. But secondly, what Jesus goes and he starts to, to speak to them, he's saying that prayer is a realignment of our true source. Look what he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. When we have this at first glance, we look at it today, especially where we live, right? I thank God that I had so many, you know, every morning, it's like, Micah, what do you want to eat? Now, what do you want to eat? It's not like, hey, honey, sorry, but this is all we got. So here you go. Or, hey, Micah, I'm sorry. I know your stomach is really rumbling right now, buddy, but you know what? We got no food. See, we know very little about that. And yes, there is poverty, and yes, there is need, and yes, there is hunger here. And I thank God that we have a church that has a food pantry that's available to serve our community and help those in need. So if you ever have a situation where you, your neighbor, your family members, you're going through a hard time, hey, reach out to us. We got supplies and we got some connections. We can help you out. But I think that we don't even scratch the surface in understanding what starvation and need and necessity is in this country because we are blessed. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and say, thank you, God. We are blessed beyond measure. But you know, when we start praying, give us each day our daily bread, we're saying that we want to trust God with the very necessities of our lives, that he is sufficient and able to provide all of our physical needs. And that means he's able to give us everything that is necessary for us to thrive. Everything that nourishes our lives, he has it within his source. Be that food, be that shelter, be that clothing, be that relationships, be that friendship, be that opportunity, be that purpose, be that calling, be that whatever it is that Mav, you know, Maslow's needs of, you know, hierarchy of needs, all right? You can check that out, psychology class. Go back and look at all of those things that it says the human psyche needs. God is able to provide for us. He has it within himself. And now when we pray, we come to him. And it's not like we're saying, hey, God, uh, let me just, by the way, remind you of something that I do need because I think you forgot or you don't know, like you haven't perceived it from afar. So God, I got to put this on your radar because you've got too many people praying to you. You got too many things happening like Bruce Almighty, all the emails are coming, all the post-it notes are showing up and everything is there, right? So in, in this sense, God, I got to remind you. No, when Jesus says, God, give us today our daily bread, what he's doing is he's realigning the people and saying, yes, he's your true center, 
but he's your true source, and I want you to hear it with your own words. I want you to remind yourself where everything is coming from. I want you to realign yourself when you come into this activity and office of prayer. I want you to remind your heart, remind your soul, remind your spirit that everything has its source and its being in him, and it comes from him. It does not come from your ingenuity. It does not come from your degrees. It does not come from your family heritage. It does not come from your creativity. It does not come for how much money you have in the bank. It comes from him. Yeah, we have refrigerators. Yeah, we have Apple Pay. I, I forgot my wallet the other day and I needed to do something, but you know what? I could go to the store. I got Apple Pay on my phone and I was able to do it. God, I provided. I took care of my need. No, it comes from him. It comes from him. And so what they said is, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, hey, give us our daily bread. And not only that, if you, if you lived in their time, you didn't have refrigerators like we do. If you look at the Old Testament and how God provided manna in the desert, he didn't provide them a week's worth or a year's worth. He provided them a daily portion. Why? Because God wants us to be daily dependent upon him. Prayer life is being reoriented to say that, you know what, everything is within him and I need to go to him every single day. I'm spending way too much time here, but look, Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, what the wisdom writer of Proverbs wanted was to keep a reliance, a dependency upon God and his daily bread so that he would not violate his relationship and connection with him, so that he would not dishonor him in any which way. And it serves us to remember this point that prayer is not about us getting what we want, but prayer is about receiving that which God knows we need. I will provide you all you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you is what the word says. And at the root of our deadly separation from God is this desire from us to be independent from him, yet we need to depend upon him. Prayer also is a realignment of our true accountability. He says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. See, Jesus sees that in terms of accountability, of being answerable to something or somebody, we are completely lost. We are completely separated from God, and the human conscience has been numbed. It has been seared. We don't want to give an account of what we have done. We want to go where we want to go, do what we want to do when we want to do it, and we don't want to have to give anyone the satisfaction of an answer as to why. We cannot escape, though, this problem of guilt. It's with us. And no matter how we, tr we get ahead and we feel like we're, we're, we're escaping things, the Bible tells us that we're rendered completely exposed before the eyes of God the Father. Sin, when, 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 when Achan committed the sin and he stole the, the chain mail, he stole the, the suit of armor, he stole the thing that, that was supposed to be consumed as the first fruits in the battle of Ai. And he hid that, in, or, or before the battle of Ai, he, he hid that and kept it in his tent. He thought that he was hiding it before, but yet God knew exactly who it was. 
And it came to pass where a lot of people were condemned and sin came and, and, and fathers were lost, husbands were lost, dads were lost. Why? Because of a man committed a sin and thought he could hide it. The Bible tells us that we are utterly exposed before the eyes of the all-seeing God. And so, when Jesus places this at the very core of our prayers, he says, I want you to live a life of confession. You're going to come to me and pray. You want your prayers to reach far. You want your prayers to affect much. Then you need to have this attitude, change your paradigm, whereby you have become completely accountable to the one who sees it all. He places this at the center. Confession has to be the center of what we do. Why do we express to God that which he already knows? Why should we tell him what we have sinned and the issues that we have committed and the iniquities within our hearts? Because it makes all the difference in relationship, doesn't it? Doesn't it make all the difference when you know someone has wronged you and they come to you and say, I did this against you and I'm sorry. Doesn't that just wipe away the slate and offer up such an incredible opportunity for reconciliation? Doesn't it drive the guilt away from our hearts whereby we are avoiding people or avoiding circumstances because we know we did something wrong? I forgot to do something my wife did. And so in the morning, I'm already starting to think of all the things that I'm going to do and occupy myself to try to make up for the fact that I didn't do that one thing she wanted. And there's this wedge and this guilt that is between us. But if I just show up and say, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I forgot to do this or I chose not to do that. Therefore, can you forgive me? And here you go. Let's, let's work through this together now. It just makes for relationship to be that much more richer. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. The Father knows that our struggle is real when it comes to this area. His desire for us is to acknowledge the struggle and own it and step into it, but then say, because of our relationship, God, you are empowering me to overcome my sins. When Jesus said, teach us, how to pray, and here you go. Forgive us our sins, God. He wanted us to step into that connection and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to one more. Prayer is a realignment of our center. It's a realignment of our source. It's a realignment of our accountability, but prayer is also a realignment of our leader. It's a realignment to our one true leader. And lead us not into temptation is what Jesus said in his words. He's not suggesting that God is the one that's tempting us. For James tells us that God tempts no one. But every man is carried by the sin. As you know, sin births inside of us, it's going to birth desire, lust, and ultimately death. But God is not the one that creates that. God is the one that uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So what does this prayer recognize? It recognizes that in the middle of it all, no matter what we're going through, there is temptation in this world and God is the one that helps us through. We need God's spirit to lead us through the issues, through the temptations and the dangers of this world. Because we're in this world, but not of this world. Therefore, we need to not be in it in the sense that everyone else is. Partaking of everything that the, spirit, that the, the flesh of man wants to partake in. Rather, this attitude... Teach us, Lord God, to lead us to be led not into temptation is 
for us to acknowledge temptation exists, to acknowledge that our deficiency in dealing with it is present, but then to ask God, deliver us from those moments. Give us the grace to overcome. Give us the grace to live in stances and not circumstances. I've said this before. You want to avoid being, you know, for you singles who are dating, you want to avoid, you know, that momentary slip up. Oh, we slipped. You know, we were committed to, 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 to being pure and to waiting until marriage for us to be intimate together. But we just slipped. I don't know what happened. We were in the car in the par- dark parking lot and there was no one around. And we just slipped because we love each other. But hey, if you live with the stance saying, I will not. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, I'm praying that you're not going to allow me the idea of saying, let me go park my car in that dark alley and let me hang out in the car together with this beautiful person that I love. Because then, Lord, I will not be at the mercy of the circumstance because I took a stand beforehand. Lord, let me pray that I will take the stand to ask you to deliver me from temptation and lead me not into the place where I'm going to be subject to whatever will and whim that the enemy wants for me in that moment. But God, that I have insulated my life saying that you are my source, you are my accountability, you are the one that's at the center of my life and therefore your will be done, not my will be done. Lord, you are leading me in the right way. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me down still waters. He lays me down to rest. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff is with me. He is our leader. He is our guide. He is the one that is taking us away from the issue and into the victory if we will align ourselves to pray in this fashion. But some of us, we want to leave the door open to the temptation because it's just so enticing. We want to leave ourselves open to the possibility. We don't want to rule it off and close the back door. There was a general, I don't even remember his name, and I think maybe, maybe it was Patton, but what he did is he, he was going to a place, I don't even remember the story truly, but I, I recall something to the effect of they were going to a battle. They had to go to a place and take over enemy territories. And so what they did is when they arrived on shore, they gave the order to burn all the boats and all the ships so that the soldiers would not have a way to retreat, but they would have to go and fulfill their mission. Have we burned the boats and burn the back doors and the bridges of temptation because we have said, Lord, you are my shepherd. You shall lead me. Therefore, what is it that you want to do in my life? I'm going to invite the team to come back up and we'll close out together. If you would stand with me. When the disciples saw something in Jesus, when they were walking with him for three years, I don't know where exactly this passage falls. Some believe that it's closer to the second year mark or the end of his ministry. We don't know exactly what was happening and what he had just finished doing. But what we do know is that they asked him this question the minute they saw him ending prayer. They had witnessed him in a time of prayer and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We see a connection in you that we need 
to have. We see that when you come to God, your very being, your very marching orders, your very life, the joy that you have within you, the efficiency and the fervor that you experience, how you carry yourself out in authority. God, we see that all of that flows out of this moment of prayer. And so God, help us to pray as you pray. Give us that ability. Give us that connection. Give us this power. Friends, prayer, I'll say it again and again, changes things. When men and women who had dying loved ones had no recourse, they had no understanding, but they heard of this man, Jesus. They would send servants, they would go themselves and say, Lord, please pray where you are that my loved one will be made well. In that very hour, things would change. When Jesus saw a little boy going in a funeral procession or a little girl, I forget which one, but one or the other, it doesn't matter. It was a child that had died. Jesus sees the wailing in the people and he lays his hand on that coffin and prays. That child comes back to life. See, prayer changes something and it was not reserved for just the men and women of this world. Bible. It was not just reserved for the day of Pentecost when they were committed and devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It was not just then that prayers changed and turned the world upside down. Prayer throughout the span of history has caused and birthed revivals. Prayers have brought people back to life. Smith Wigglesworth has an incredible testimony by which his wife, this is a man who would pray and pray and pray so much so that people could not stand with him in prayer because the presence and the anointing of God was just so heavy that one by one people would drop out of the room because they could not stand within the same realm and atmosphere of the connection that man had with God the Father. There was a, a day when he was praying. He was at a meeting or something happened. His wife actually died. He lifted up his wife and he prayed for her and he asked God to heal her and bring her back to life. And then nothing happened. And so he said, Lord, I need her. Lord, he prayed again and she prayed and nothing happened. He prayed a third time and when he did so, his wife came back to life by which she said to him, don't you ever do that again. I was in the sight and presence of God because the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yet this man prayed and his wife came back to life. Jesus prayed and the dead were raised. Friends, there are people. Scratch that. You need this type of prayer. You need this type of power. You need this type of connection this year if you are going to see God do something incredible inside of your life and your family. If you are going to witness the power of God that saves and redeems us, that works out our salvation with fear and trembling, that leads us so that one day we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We need to be able to be praying, not a wish list to God when we need something, but we need to be praying, God, you are my source. God, you are my true center. God, God, you are my accountability. God, your will be done in my life. God, you are the one that is leading me because we are inviting him into our world.
there are men and women who are going to come to you and they have no answer, they have no possibility, they have death and disease and they have hopelessness and depression and they have all of that waiting in store for them. But you are the gatekeeper of the connection through prayer to an all-powerful God that will change their circumstance. Will you realign your prayer this year with me? Will you revisit how it is you pray? And why is it that you pray? And how long you pray? Or how you think prayer needs to be? Will you just realign yourselves with me this week? Just can you do it for, Scott, can you do that for a day? Can you do that with me today? <clears throat> As we close out this time today. I don't want to be known as the church that went to court saying that we didn't, it wasn't us that prayed for the bar to be burned out. I want us to own the fact that we pray. I want us to own the fact that when we say that we're going to open up our lips and we're going to beseech God and we're going to boldly approach his throne, that there's going to be an availing that happens out of our words. There's going to be a change that happens. People are going to come to know God, the creator of all the universe. Situations are not going to be the same. People are not going to leave the same way that they entered, but they're going to leave transformed. Why? Because we were courageous enough to believe in the power, the privilege, the office, the opportunity that prayer is. So I don't know what you need to change in your prayers this morning, but I invite you to close your eyes. And I invite you to right now begin. Don't wait when you get home. Don't wait when you step into your car or when you're all by yourself. I want you to lift up right now a hopeful prayer to say, God, your will be done in this circumstance. Lord, I've been thinking too small. I've been dreaming too little. I've been, Lord God, completely complacent or apathetic about this issue. But God, enough is enough. I know that you are the center. I know that you are the source. I know that you are the one who wants to make it all right. You see the issue before I even understand. And God, you can lead us through and beyond it. So God, change the scenario, change the circumstance today. And let me just say, as you begin to pray, just start praying right now. Start asking God to change the circumstance. Let me just say that you cannot pray in this fashion. You cannot connect with this privilege. You cannot have access to this incredible, powerful tool at your disposal. If you have not become a child of God, to those whom confess him before men, he shall confess before the Father, and that spirit of sonship will be given to you. Those who cry out in prayer, Abba, are those who have a relationship. If you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, you can't pray in this way. You cannot experience this power. Why? Because you are not yet a son of God. Therefore, you can't declare him to be the perfect father over your life who has perfect gifts and good things in store for you, who has eternal life reserved for those who have declared him in faith. So if that's you, you've never stepped into this relationship, just change that this morning. Let that be the first and beautiful prayer that you pray. And you say, Lord, I want you as my Abba, Dad, my dearest Father. 
I need you to cleanse me of my sin. I need you to wash me clean and redeem me and lead me according to your will. If that's you, I want to pray with you. So you make your way to this altar as the worship team worships God. And as we pray, you come. Don't leave without being known as a son and daughter of God. With access and connection to him. The greatest power and greatest mercy and greatest favor, greatest savior that this world has ever known. The one and only. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you, Lord God, for the paradigm that you gave us. I thank you that you didn't leave us a formula. You didn't leave us a prayer, but you left us, Lord God, something that can change us, Lord, if we truly live it. And it takes time. It takes, Lord God, practice. But Lord, center us as we pray to you. Lord God, anchor us as we trust in you as our source. Father, I pray that you would realign us not to try to get away with our issues and hide our sins. But Lord, that we would confess before you as you make relationship possible to us. Father, I pray that you would continue, Lord Jesus. to lead us as we go from this place. Father, whatever your people are asking for this year, Lord, I pray that you would sift it first and foremost in your own will and that you would remove, Lord God, all the superfluous and superficial, Lord God, requests that they have for their own advancement, for their own comfort, for their own ability, for their own security. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would go beyond, Lord Jesus, what they have asked and what they have wanted and that you would add onto them all the things that they need as they seek first your kingdom this year. I pray, Jesus, that you would change the results of their prayers and that they would come to be known as a man and a woman that avail much when they open their lips to cry out to their dad. That, Father, men and women will not come to see, Lord God, the depth of their love or, Lord Jesus, to hear the eloquence of their words and preaching. But that, God, their neighbors, their friends, their co-workers, their bosses, the people within their spheres of influence will flock to them just so that they can hear them pray and experience your power. In your precious and mighty name. May the love of God, the peace of God, and may, Lord Jesus, your fellowship with each and every one of us as we go from this place this morning. In Jesus' mighty name.